Hello, and welcome to Coin Talk. It's a show nominally about Bitcoin, more recently about whatever is interesting. Me and my co-host, Jake Hang, will be here shortly. It's all brought to you in partnership with Medium. Medium has tons and tons of great writing about crypto. I did see on Twitter that they have a list of the uh, most popular uh, Bitcoin writers on Medium, and at the top of that list is Craig Wright. I'll let you do that. <laughs> with that, what you will. But uh, it's uh, it's uh, well worth your time. And if you're enjoying it, uh, give five bucks a month. It helps support writers. It helps support things like this show. You can always get in touch with us. Hi at cointalk.show. I've gotten some good inquiries about sponsorships. Those are basically what decides whether we're able to do the show or not. So please get in touch if you're uh, in crypto land and you have something you'd like to promote on this show. Let's do the show. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, March 19th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $3,971. Hello, Jay. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? I have a question for you. Shoot. Uh, I just heard you do your very nice pitch. Thank you. And uh, are we the only... Are we the only podcast that doesn't have a Patreon? We might be. I think that um, there's a but. Maybe some of the podcasts are actually leaving Patreon because of um, drawing gigantic air quotes here censorship. Oh, so yeah. there might actually Those be are a the slot. biggest air quotes we can draw. <laughs> yeah, I, there's not a bit. I don't. Uh, they, there's no. There's no audio equivalent of the air quotes of the size that I just yeah. drew. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe there's a there's an open lane for us there as uh, crypto moderates, or sorry, one of two of us as crypto moderates to go where uh, the deplatformed cannot. I'm a crypto accelerationist. That's my crypto accelerationist. That's my yes, new yes. Out- outlook on life. Um, I mean, I guess we ideally would find some sort of crypto-related donation system, right? Like, didn't we start that tip me jar? Do we have any tips in there? Oh, yes, that's right. I don't know. I haven't announced it on the show yet. Tip.me slash Cointalk. Send us a tip uh, via the Lightning Network. Um, I'm going to say this. I think there's a notes field in tips.me. If you send us a Lightning tip, I will announce it on the show. Or will, if you have a question for us, this is something my friend Mina Kimes oh, does uh, on I like her it. podcast, The Excellent Mina Kimes Show. We will read it on air uh, as long as it is, you know, yeah, above board, and our 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 board is pretty low. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a know. lot of there's a lot of good questions you could ask. We'll we'll do it for a tip of any size, uh, <laughs> and it's a great use of lightning. I feel like we haven't really gotten to talk that much about the Lightning Network on this show. I'm actually pretty excited about it, but I haven't used it very much. And I feel like this show, we generally try to be experiential. So we should try to have some lightning experiences. That's one. Uh, getting tipped is one experience we're interested in. I think also we should try to uh, publish an episode to that Bitcoin satellite somehow. Yeah, I agree. The uh, I, You know, the lightning network is an interesting thing for me because... Uh, there's two narratives in crypto, one of which is that we should focus on the technology and that like uh, we should build all. Sure. And at the same time, the same people who are screaming, like, let's not talk about the market, but let's just talk about what's being buildled. Like, they don't give a shit about the Lightning Network. <laughs> you know? It's almost as if they're arguing in bad faith and they also care about the, the market price as well. 
But yeah, it's been something that has been around since you and I first got into crypto is this talk of this great lightning network and experiments with it, right? And uh, it seems like they're really rolling stuff out right now. So I think that as uh, curious crypto people who are in the service of an audience, we should probably try and figure out if this thing works by uh, asking people to send us money through it. Yeah, you'll you'll be confirming that the Lightning Network works by sending us Bitcoin on it, which is <laughs> a win-win for us. But also, I'd like to say, when we started this show, I think our predominant belief um, in terms of the things that we were going to test out and try would be dApps uh, heavily on the Ethereum network or on some of these emergent dApp networks. Uh, the bottom of the pit I'm describing is Tron. Uh, and... It turns out that there's like other ways to make crypto products and even ones in which you don't have to issue a bullshit token to make them work. And Lightning seems to me to be where a lot of that activity is happening. People actually making things that you can actually use that have an actual function. So if you're listening, send us an email, hi at cointalk.show. If you've had an experience with the Lightning Network that you think we should check out, um, because I don't know all of the stuff that's happening. The tip.me stuff kind of blew up when um, Jack Dorsey from Twitter and uh, Square uh, like tweeted out, uh, I think they were doing like a, light, like a pass the torch thing where like one person tips the next person and it's kind of like a, a chain letter. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we're pretty cynical on this show, but I think this stuff's kind of exciting. Yeah, I I would also say that I think that uh, the Lightning Network, I think that they almost have a problem with being too old, which is insane to think about, you know? But they just changed their name. I think people will probably talk about it much more. But I do think that given that crypto... Uh, attention spans are basically shorter than, you know, social media attention spans and that uh, a new thing gets introduced every six hours or something like that. I just think that any sort of thing that incrementally changes and builds that way is at a bit of a disadvantage, even if it is the most important technological thing going, which, you know, arguably the Lightning Network is. I'll just make one counterpoint, which is I think when the Lightning Network is totally mature, someone can write in and tell me I'm wrong, we won't even realize that we're using the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network will operate as an underlayer on things like this tip jar that we just announced, tip.me slash coin talk. And uh, like, did you even know that tip.me was a lightning thing when it came out? I did. Uh, okay. Because I think Niraj told me. Sure. I, I guess I'm saying <laughs> that I can imagine that there'll be all sorts of crypto experiences in which we may or may not know sure, that the Lightning sure. Network is allowing it to happen. Like so. if they make a actually functioning Magic the Gathering type game, yeah, uh, like with individual cards, which a lot of people seem to be developing, given our email inbox and you know some stuff that I've read around there. One of the visions of the Lightning Network, I think, or one of the things that they talked about was that you could, you know, run a game pretty efficiently on something like the Lightning Network. And so, you know, I don't think that when that game comes out, they'll be, you know, they'll be like, uh, well, here are your cards, and here's the lore. And here are the hit points per card, and this is how you tap mana. And also, like, you know, here's a lengthy explanation of what the Lightning Network is. You know, it'll certainly be hidden underneath something. Absolutely. I mean, the last time we saw the Lightning Network in the wild, it was that screenshot. I I think it was a prototype for a video game where basically there was, like, a door in the game. It was kind of like a Doom-style, like, a dungeon game. And there was a QR code on the door and you could like fire your phone at it and it would send a microtransaction that opened the door. 
that like jump from like the video game world to the real world to all over the place and it's all controlled by like your some sort of a lightning wallet on your phone that yeah. seems I, I i'm gonna say um i see myself doing that before i see myself visiting the ethereum amusement park uh yeah i guess it just depends on the quality of the game more than anything for me um okay should we do a little news do you want to talk about tether yeah, I feel like this story was like the the this story seemed like it would would have been bigger. Like if you had asked me one year ago if you had you had outlined the what happened, I would have been like, "Holy shit. The market's going to lose 50% and people are going to lose their shit." Actually, this was I would say not even the biggest crypto story of the day. Mm. What uh, was what was that day? Uh, it was last week someday, I think. I mean, it, I like, it was literally not big enough story that I think I even caught it on the first day. It was like the like third news item of the day. So basically Tether, we all know Tether. We've talked about Tether on this show. Tether, which is closely allied with, uh, Bitfinex has been issuing a huge, huge amount of Tethers, which are often used to buy Bitcoins and, uh, some people believe that the whole bull run was a uh, Wizard of Oz style illusion created by uh, a, a perpetual Tether printer. So Tether has been refusing audits for a very long time to prove that they um, have the U.S. dollar reserves to cover all the Tether out there, right? There should be one U.S. dollar in a bank account somewhere for every Tether that is in the world. And they basically said, changed their terms of service to say, well, it's not exactly one U.S. dollar in reserve. It's just reserves. It could be a variety of things. <laughs> that definitely contradicts the messaging they were putting out for the last year and a half, which is that uh, there is actually a dollar for all of this, which everybody kind of rolled their eyes about. But... Generally, I don't think that uh, anyone really believed them. And so maybe that's why this wasn't big news. Because, like, do you know any person who really thought that every tether was backed by a, a US dollar in some vault somewhere, like Scrooge only, McDuck or something like that? The only person who's made that case or brought that take to me are like a few crypto people I know who are um, always kind of on the there's smoke here but no fire tip. Where they're oh, yeah. like, oh, like mainstream media always wants to blah, blah. Like those are kind of the only people defending Tether. And when they defend Tether, they don't really have their heart in it fully. It feels like sometimes <laughs> like where they're like, no, no, they totally have the reserves, you guys. And I do feel like there's a, a, a certain degree to which here, here are things I didn't know one year ago. I didn't know that this was something that basically everyone was doing like when we were talking about the Quadriga story, which I think we're gonna keep is gonna keep coming up, the uh, exchange Canadian exchange that became insolvent. When you deposited to Quadriga, they gave you one Quadriga buck in your account. So there is a lot of prior art for the idea that when you put a dollar into a crypto exchange, it no longer represents a dollar; it represents a fun buck. And uh, that fun buck is supposed to be backed probably by a dollar, but it's always a little wishy-washy exactly what that means. Yeah. I guess my take on this has never changed, which is that I think that Bitfinex and Tether 
were engaged in some fraudulent activities. This is my opinion. This is just from the facts that I've gotten. It is not an accusation. And I don't really think that it matters as much anymore because I think that basically the price is low and the types of actions that people were talking about don't happen as much anymore. And, you know, I I don't know, I guess, like, do you feel this way where, like, uh, every time there's a huge price motion in the price of Bitcoin, I generally wait like six weeks or something like that to try and figure out what's happening. And then there'll be something convincing that comes out that sometimes is more convincing than others. Like, uh, remember when uh, Bitcoin, that article came out that uh, Bitcoin was only being propped up at 6,000 by a super airdrop festival. <laughs> <laughs> like I uh, did I, we like, did we break that story? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that most things probably have multiple explanations for any price movement. I don't think that super airdrop festival is the only thing keeping it up. And so at this point tether I think is just a story because it keeps you know, I guess it's not even a story anymore, but uh yeah, I have a hard time really getting too worked up about it. Well, okay, if I take the Kangian logic that I've learned over so many episodes from you, I believe the Kangian logic would be that the tether being uh, not in possession of enough reserves to cover all the tether out there would be previously priced in, right? Like, if our insinuation is that people already knew that tether was bullshit, then the price of Bitcoin right now is with the knowledge that that previous bull run to 20,000 was largely funded with um, bullshit tethers. And there is a weird way where we can just... I would not say largely. I would say in small proportion. In small proportion funded. But, But that information had already come out. So whatever reaction the market was gonna have, they already had a chance to have. And it seems like the market is kind of comfortable now with all this tether out there. This is what always comes up when we talk about tether, where I'm always like, so are we just going to like go along and keep doing this? And then it's going to come back to bite us in the ass again, like it bit us in the ass many times before. Like, there's never a tether story that like resolves. It's like a soap opera that just keeps going. Yeah, it's true. I mean... I I I think that it would probably help the community if uh, people just shunned it, you know, and stopped <laughs> stopped using it. But obviously, it's useful for people who use for Bitcoin in much more practical ways, like money laundering, than you or I do. And those people don't give a shit about the health of crypto or the crypto community. And so it's just going to stay around because it's useful for those people, and those people matter more than you know, like me, you, or like two thousand randos on Twitter. But, you know, I don't know. Like, let's let's move on to Facebook. Okay. Uh, Facebook, uh, this is a couple weeks ago, announced a big pivot towards privacy, which I feel like is if, like, I, I can't even think of, like, what, what pivot in your own life would signal a pivot as extreme as this, Jay? I can't think of someone who could more dramatically change the company. I would, I would say like, I would say like, what if I became like a anarcho-capitalist Trump supporter who was like, you know, screaming on Twitter all the time about, uh, I was like, well, it's not so far away from where I am right Either now. that or like <laughs> a deep 
like theory based academic. Oh, uh, that like, would be the yeah, that would be the biggest. I basically I've become essentially an anti intellectual and uh, I don't believe in reading anymore. And so yeah, if I like if you were was, to become like, like a tenured Yale professor, yeah, or like one of these people who like uh, you know graduate students on Twitter who you know just say. Yes, but we should consider. Somebody made this joke on Twitter uh, earlier, which is just like every the review of every book now. Now that everyone is like, uh, you know, like doing this sort of there's this like generation of cosplay media socialists out there. Like every book review is like this is like let's consider this structurally, you know, or like what is the materialist implications of this, and that's it, you know. If I turned into one of those people, yes, I think that would be the opposite of who I am right now. But it would still not even be close to the same amount of pivot as facebook pivoting to privacy uh, along those lines there was a uh, i'm a big fan of the website Wirecutter, which is now owned by the new york times uh, uh founded by uh you're friends with brian lamb aren't you uh yeah i've met brian a few times and he lives the life that i wish that i was brave enough to pursue for myself yeah. he yeah. lives in hawaii he has like 43 surfboards and he just surfs every day which is what i used to do but i didn't have the money that brian got from selling the <laughs> wire cutter <laughs> Well, so he's not associated with Wirecutter anymore, so I'm not insulting him by uh, making fun of this article. There was an article published in the Wire that was Wirecutter that was, "Is it unethical to use credit card rewards points?" Um, what was the argument that it was? Because I well, imagine they posited the, an the argument. The argument is uh, similar to one you just posited of the like uh, socialist LARPing, which is uh, that credit cards disproportionately like target the poor with fees, and those fees go to pay the rewards that uh, are given to people who use American Express and various other like uh, premium tier credit cards. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That's it's a fair. fair. It's fair. A fair. Yeah. I'm just not used to like a class uh, article in the place <laughs> I usually go for like vacuum cleaner reviews. <laughs> yeah, or headphones. <laughs> that's what I use. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say they're wrong. I mean to say, wow, this is not the kind of content I associate with this website. Uh, <laughs> did, did you write an angry email like uh, the I people did not. do whenever anyone at ESPN talks about politics at all and they're basically like, ESPN has become a cucked liberal site? Actually, what I did was I was like, like clicked like through a link on it to like, so like which credit card will get me the most of these unethical rewards points? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so a lot of people when Facebook's did this, um, we're like, oh my God, like, LOL, Mark Zuckerberg, like that's ever going to happen. You're the biggest liar ever. And I actually tend to look at Mark Zuckerberg not as the biggest liar ever, but as the biggest copycat ever. And one of the like truly, truly successful cloners in history. If we look at like Facebook right now, I would say that Instagram stories is like propping up a huge amount of the uh, cathedral. And that is oh, yeah. literally just Snapchat cloned to the upteenth degree. And I, I like I didn't even use Snapchat. So like I'm like a secondhand consumer of this stuff. But when I heard this and then I sort of flashed back to our previous conversations about um Facebook's crypto uh aspirations, which also were met with LOL, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. It kind of started to like become clear in my mind as a picture that this largely Asian idea of a private encrypted messaging app with a funny money wallet 
that's uh, branded to some oh, yeah, chat yeah. app. I saw that t- this morning they introduced the Instagram idea for it, right? Instagram's like, uh, going to have sales within yeah, like it. You can buy like a Kylie lip kit from Kylie, you know, by clicking on some link on Kylie's Instagram page, I think is what is what they were doing. And they're also that was a- the example. They're also acknowledging that Instagram is moving away from the idea of it being a social network to being a place that you go to engage with celebrities and buy stuff. And and if we assume that Zuckerberg is pretty good at cloning features, and we also know that like if you go to China right now, no one pays for anything outside of their phone. I'm not sure I like this product seems so far fetched. It's like Facebook Messenger with a crypto wallet, right? Well, one thing will make you feel better about it, which is that the person who is in charge of Instagram right now, the other two things that he did at Facebook was the Facebook phone. Do you remember that? That that did not go well. Yeah, and he ran news feed between 2013 and 2017, which, you know, uh, I think Kevin Roos made the joke. That was really a completely calm and normal time for news feed <laughs> right before the election. I mean, um, I guess in that sense, you could argue that he was too successful like <laughs> too uh, successful <laughs> i mean he you like, know if arguably like destroyed six countries yeah sure. i mean if yeah. his <laughs> if his goal was to like dominate your eyeballs he succeeded not um, not my personal eyeballs twitter won that war for me but i think in the world war for eyeballs uh news feed shocked and awed during that period. Don't you feel though that the number of the amount of engagement on newsfeed would have been the exact same without like uh you know the look first of all I think all this Russia bot thing is pretty overblown, you know, like the fake news thing. But uh I don't know if you get credit for having more eyeballs on it because you're like seeding fake stories maybe. But um, I, I find that hard to believe. Well, I think what he did, it's when you give it over to the algorithm, it just picks what picks what it wants. I mean, that that's the legacy of that era. And it seems like Facebook is reason, realizing that that's completely untenable now. And they're looking at the entire sea of what to clone next, like what what is the world. And WeChat. I'd, I'd say it's kind of bullish that like uh, privacy and crypto, encryption and crypto is part of that. Yeah, no, I think that's good too. I just don't find I, I I agree with you that it's a total copycat thing. I agree with you that it will probably work, you know, because it works so well in China and yeah. so many people are g- never going to leave Instagram, you know. And Facebook's and, not in China, so it's not like they're competing against oh, the yeah, people they're not who, are, who are doing against, this already. Yeah. And it makes I mean, look, and if there's a crypto layer to it, all the better for crypto i think but i just don't like why wouldn't you just use paypal or something like that at the at the start so that people have an easier way of onboarding onto this well because then facebook would be partnering with paypal which is like another publicly traded uh company that has its own agenda i I think think they'll do it all through uh do you think they'll all do it through like facebook coin Yes, I think it will be all in-house, and I think it'll be crypto-based. And I think the entire goal of everything Facebook does is to ensure that you have to have a Facebook account. So I canceled Facebook last week. I've done it before, and then I've like accidentally reactivated it. I turned uh, it off. And I accidentally reactivate like every three weeks. It's um, a race uh, to see what the first thing that forces me to reactivate is. Will it be? An incoming Facebook message from a potential CoinTalk sponsor. 
could happen. Yeah. Uh, will it be that um, I need to get into like a Facebook group to look up some information? Possibly. Uh, if it comes to be that I need to like check out, right? So I still have an Instagram account, but if I have to check out for something on Instagram and it forces me to need my Facebook coin, I can very easily see a sequence of events, be it in the messaging or um, uh, wallet sphere where I'm like, I guess I'm going to have an active Facebook account again. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's impossible to delete. I mean, I, honestly, for, for me, it's difficult because, uh, because I'm a reporter still and I need to contact people and a lot of people are only on Facebook. It, I, I've tried in the past to delete and I think you're right. Like even like Spotify, the first time I signed up for Spotify, I used classic Facebook. example. And so it's either like, oh, I can start a new account and link everything new and it's just like it's it's just not worth it, you know? Yep. Uh I, I I assume that everybody is spying on me anyway, and I guess I'm in the pr- proportion of Americans who just feel that, you know, like they've given up <laughs> on on privacy. The only thing I won't do is like get a smart speaker because I just find that to be creepy. But it's not because I think they're going to steal any information that like I you know they haven't already stolen from me. I do have a question there. Like you've played, uh, you have a Nintendo Switch, right? Correct. Okay, so as you know, if you want to buy a Nintendo Switch game, it's the same system. You can't just put cash in. There's an intermediary where you have to buy like Nintendo points or something like that, right? Same same thing on PlayStation. Neither of them will take your money directly. Same thing on PlayStation, yeah. And same thing on like EA Sports Origins if you're a PC gamer like myself and you have Apex Legends, which is this new free game that everybody is playing. And today the Battle Pass comes out and you want to buy that Battle Pass, you have to buy Apex coins, right? You can't just buy uh, regular coins. Now, Can the, I pause you here for one yep. second and say that um, whether it comes to PlayStation, Switch, or what's the one you use? Steam? Where, where do you buy the yeah, PC I mean, ones? It's, it's, uh, Steam bucks. Yes, they'll Steam. But I don't think I think Steam just uses your PayPal account. This is like EA Sports. Okay, all th- all of these companies, massive publicly traded companies that are taking millions and millions of dollars in gamer money. No one is going. Do they have the reserves to cover all of those Switch slash PlayStation bucks? <laughs> well, that's because you not have an buy- issue. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Um, I, the scam there, obviously, I think, well, at least obvious to me, is that like you know you can buy these things in certain increments, and sometimes you just have some left over. You know, like right now, I have like four hundred Apex coins left over, and I there's literally nothing I can do with it. It equals like four dollars or something like that. And uh, I will probably never spend it, and that's four dollars that the game has that uh, I didn't spend, and I got nothing in return for. But like, why couldn't Instagram just do something like that? You know, like why why do you need a blockchain? As you said, like these gaming systems do massive amounts of transactions, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, don't you feel like sort of entering a crypto layer to it will both add like some sort of weird regulatory attention? at first and will also, you know, scare off some people? Possibly. I mean, what you're describing are consumer to business transactions that are handled through a credit card. So they're pretty sanitized vanilla transactions. But I think there's a whole spectrum of transactions that get shadier and shadier and more anonymous and more cross-border and even the the example you brought up of well, why not why not just tack PayPal or Venmo onto it? 
I was just buying these like stickers that you put on the uh, OP1 synthesizer to so you know which key <laughs> is key because they're kind of weird. And it was from Russia, and they don't have PayPal in Russia. Like okay. Russians can't accept PayPal, unsurprisingly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't is want to go to true? Russia. Is that true? I yeah. feel like I sent money to a Russian guy that got converted <sighs> into rubles on PayPal. Actually, I'm sure of it. Uh, um, well, there, there you go. I mean, I, I think there's probably a way to use PayPal in Russia, but this guy who's selling these stickers was on some weird off-brand Russian PayPal, and I was like, not going there. Not worth mm. it to get these stickers. So I think that Facebook is a trusted brand, and that like means something here. Facebook, you're also not worried like that like Tether, they can't like cover their reserves for like dollars deposited in it. Sure. And I just think that they it's the most valuable to Facebook if they like own the biggest thing. Think about messaging. There's like 10,000 ways to message. Well, why does Facebook need to use Facebook Messenger? It's like, well, cuz Facebook Messenger is like their one of their core properties. It's one of the main things of value that they have and people have it everywhere. You can go to like a village that has limited electricity and people have access to Facebook Messenger. So I think that the promise of the Facebook coin, I don't know that it has to be crypto, although that does seem to be the flavor of the year. But uh, if if you have Facebook crypto, it's going to penetrate to corners of the world that have very, very few services. Yeah, sure. I, I, I do Did I just make I, a bullish case for the Facebook coin accidentally? Yeah, that's why I, that's why I was just like, sure. <laughs> like I, I think that at the point where like if your vision of it is that like you could let's say let's lo- let I load up three hundred dollars of Facebook coin and then I go to a cafe in Phnom Penh and they're like we take Facebook coin is that the and then I just use that Facebook coin is that the vision that you're thinking about? Well, well, here's what I here's what I think the vision is. So you get to Phnom Penh, right? Yeah. And have you been uh, to Phnom Penh? I have been to Phnom Penh. Yeah. How, did you like it? I did. I like Cam- I like Cambodia a lot as a whole. I would say maybe Phnom Penh was probably not my favorite place in Cambodia, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's pretty dusty. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, do you know uh, Spencer Hall, the guy, uh, the college football Twitter guy for SB Nation? Uh, he tweeted something like about how about like bars that you walk into, uh, walk in the door, do a straight 180 and walk out. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of those are in Phnom Penh. I was like, yes, I have been to those in Phnom Penh. I agree. I would say that there's an entire genre of music and it's American and European music, but it's music that would be playing at a bar in Phnom Penh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I also know that music. I, I, I enjoyed Phnom Penh quite a bit, but I certainly had two moments walking around with my wife where I walked into a bar did a straight heel turn and walk walk straight out of there. It's uh, one of the few places where I've um, seen someone vomit like at the bar and not be ejected from the bar or not not in any way like really stop their <laughs> evening, just throw up on a bar, keep going. Uh, yeah. So me and you are 22-year-olds backpacking after our uh, junior year of college. And All right, where are we going? We just rolled into Phnom Penh on the bus. Okay, so first we're keeping our money. uh, Like maybe uh, fifty years ago, we would have had travelers' checks, right? Yeah, we're just keeping some money on our phone, right? Because we heard that in Asia, lots of people take Facebook coin in the same way that like you could generally expect someone might take PayPal. Let's say Facebook coin is that plus ten percent. So me and you go to the hostel, right? And the guy's like, 
okay, like you can settle up, you know, you need to settle up. It's going to be like, you guys are staying here for like five nights. That's like $120, right? All right. So yeah. we, we can go take out that money at an ATM in cash, go figure out the fucking rates and go and pay this dude. And that's probably what I did when I was in Phnom Penh. I, I think almost everything was operating on a cash basis then. And there's a possibility that this guy takes credit cards. But let's say they, like, I, I've had many experiences traveling where credit cards were either uh, not an option or they were, like, a very difficult option. Like, I've used credit cards in Nicaragua where they, like, write down the number and they, like, take the, like, pink, like, uh, emboss of the uh, credit card and then they, like, run it. They take it in a boat and go run it in the main city. Yeah. So, like, even credit cards aren't necessarily available in these places. But let's say all you need to do a transaction on the Facebook network is a working cell phone connection. Yep. The hostel takes our 120 bucks in Facebook coin. I they, The hostel has a Facebook pay, page for the hostel. I have a personal one. We just link up on Messenger and pay. Uh, that's not a bad idea. I mean, I, I can see that. And, you know, the ubiquity of Facebook at that point, especially in countries like Cambodia, I think will help. You know, I mean, I, I could totally see that. Like, and then I, and then we're at an ATM. I'm like, hey, Jay, could you take out a hundred bucks for me? And I like send you Facebook coin, or I pay the hostel and you settle up with me on Facebook coin. It solves the main problem, right? the The main problem with crypto is what Jim Surowiecki, our friend, uh, or at least you know my friend who I see more or less every week on Sundays. He, his article that talked about the old wild west of money and how there are like 30, 50 different types of currency. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with going to Phnom Penh with one type of coin is that you don't know if the place that you want to stay accepts that type of coin, let's say in a post-crypto world, right? Yep. But you can be relatively certain that you will find the type of hostel or place or, or room. The people will have Facebook and advertise that they have Facebook and will most likely take Facebook bucks. Like, I can see all of that, sure. Here's another argument about it, which is people who don't even know they take Facebook bucks will take Facebook bucks because Facebook bucks will come with every Facebook account. So if you encounter someone and they're like, I'm totally unfamiliar with the Facebook bucks system, you're still going to be able to send them Facebook bucks. And then that's going to bring them into the Facebook buck economy, which to me, I hate to say this because I believe in Bitcoin far more. But that's like a lot more people are going to get onboarded that way, I think, than people who have to go to Coinbase and open a wallet, yeah. et cetera. Oh, God. That's, yeah. And this is kind of depressing. They but might... what we were talking about there is not cryptocurrency. What we're talking there is like an internal yeah, uh, it's PayPal. blockchain currency that's used by like the most centralized power in the world right now. Sure. Um, and so, yes, it, it just, just to reiterate, we, we don't. We don't support this. We don't condone this. <laughs> it would be horrible in those countries, too, because, like, you know, basically in a lot of developing countries, Facebook is a utility, right? Like, they're the providers of the Internet, and you have to do everything through Facebook. And so, like, rerouting part of that country's economy through Facebook as well just means that Facebook becomes by far the most powerful entity in that country if it's not already. Um, and, you know, like, uh, entire countries then are dependent on the whims of like, you know, like fucking Sheryl Sandberg and, and Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, like, I, that's just, it's just bad. It's bad. Can I give you an even further dystopian nightmare for our Facebook Bucks the movie? 
so like all Wait, of the- this is the movie where you and I are like uh, are uh, are backpacking through yes. Southeast Asia and then like get uh, kidnapped at some point. Yeah, it's a it's a movie where we like slowly like it slowly dawns on us like how uh, widespread and powerful this Facebook scheme is. So all the things that we've argued about Bitcoin, like oh your economy is collapsing and your um, your currency is rapidly uh, losing value. What would yeah. you do in that situation if it's actually Facebook bucks, not Bitcoin, that are you're buying? You're trying to get out of uh, your uh, the local Venezuelan or Zimbabwean currency because it's collapsing, and you have the option to buy a stable, probably U.S. dollar pegged resource, and it's like, well, you could buy that with Facebook, or you can buy Bitcoin. I think Facebook has like a pretty powerful lure there, and that means that just like we argued whole economies could become Bitcoin-based, whole economies could become Facebook bucks. Well, that is, no, that's what I mean. That's the end, that's the end result of all of this, right? Uh, yep. If you are in a country where Facebook is the provider of the only internet service and you start moving to e-commerce and the entire internet is controlled by Facebook and Facebook has a currency system that's easy to use and relatively secure, especially, and maybe even like slightly inflation proof within your country, like Facebook will control that economy. If it, uh, that's, I I don't know. I, you know, like it's a good argument for why some of these maximalists have to be the way that they are, you know? Mm And why moderates like you are ultimately sellouts who are, you know, just uh, <laughs> just advancing the the uh, Silicon Valleyization of the world. It's it's not just that it is not crypto; it is the antithesis of crypto. And uh, I haven't been paying that much attention to crypto Twitter, but I imagine that they can't be happy about these things, right? I don't think people are taking it seriously, which is one of the mistakes people made about Bitcoin also. Like I'm talking about regulators and the government. Like I think that people think that the decentralized aspect of Facebook bucks is a joke and therefore the project is a joke. But to me, the project sounds pretty viable. We we know that Facebook has an expertise in stealing other ideas that are working and making them their own. And we know that these ideas are already working in Asia. And we know that Facebook has a massive, massive base of users in Asia and all over the world. So I don't see what's standing in the way of this. There's actually, yeah, I, the next piece of news on here is like totally dovetails with this. I didn't even realize it. But uh, so the next thing I want to talk about was that the, uh, there was a study that showed that the number of $100 bills in circulation has now exceeded the number of $1 bills in circulation for the first time. Hmm. I think actually they realized it passed it in 2017. So this, I mean, never before have there been so many $100 bills out there. What percentage would you guess of those $100 bills are outside the United States right now? Mm, I don't know, like 30%. 80%. 80%. Wow. So, wow. so the US dollar is already like a gray market Monero for the world that people are circulating huge numbers of $100 bills all over the place because they're a really good thing to hold. And, and the Facebook buck is a backdoor into the US dollar. Yes, especially, I mean, look, there's nothing that I don't think that Facebook could onboard very quickly and at such large scale because obviously no one has the same size of the network. 
And so if you told some guy in Zimbabwe or some guy in Greece or one of these countries that have had currency instability where people do hoard U.S. dollars that instead of having that bag of hundreds, you know, stuffed under the mattress, yeah, that he could have a secure way and he could have like a completely hack proof password into his account and that, you know, like uh, he could give it to his like wife or his kid and that that was a different storage unit of it and it was somewhere up in the cloud it is it is appealing in some sort of way and uh wow that's shocking 80 percent of the hundred dollar bills are outside the united states well there's i mean there's already in the same way that we discuss how collapsing economies can get converted into bitcoin people have been converting collapsing economies into u.s dollar cash for a long time and there's whole economies like cuba that have basically used physical dollars as a reserve system, not not a governmental reserve system, but people have been holding a lot of like, I mean, not not large amounts of wealth, but large amounts relative to the GDP of Cuba. And there's countries all over the world where there's dollars floating around. It makes me think that uh, that money is going to go somewhere. That money could go to Bitcoin. It also could be go to Facebook coin. It also could go to something we haven't even thought of yet. But it doesn't seem tenable to just keep running the world on big stacks of rubber-banded $100 American bills. I don't know. It's been working so far, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's not not broke. Don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. Do you want to talk about the thing that we have to talk about? Yeah. Um, So I think actually, um, I think we were even mentioned in the uh, Breaker Magazine um, story about this by uh, our friend uh, David uh, Z. Morris, who's coming on the program. Oh, hey. Can I quickly pause? Say, so, uh, we're going to do another little book club. Uh, Jay is unfortunately uh, out sick for this book club, so I'm going to do it with a Breaker Magazine's uh, uh, a writer from Breaker, Breaker Magazine named David Z. Morris, and we are going to be reading Radical Markets. It is a book that uh, none other than Vitalik Buterin has endorsed. I am midway through it. It's fascinating. Um, Wait, when are you? I'm not sick. What are you talking about? Oh, I thought is, you said you, you your... couldn't ta- come to the taping. Um, because I'm gonna be in Las Vegas gambling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want to call in? Um, I, wow, I can't. wow! I just signed Jay. That that pitch was so good that Jay uh, signed up midstream. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, Jay. Here we do. We do a two parter. First part will be me and David Z. Morris parting talking about the book. Part two will be me and Jay talking about the book. Yeah, you in? Okay, I can do that. I actually do want to read. I've always I wanted to read this you book have, for a while. You have two weeks to read Radical Markets. Two weeks. It on okay, Amazon. I can do that. It's on Amazon. It's cheap. It's like uh, like eleven dollars on Amazon to buy this I'm, book. I'm seeing seventeen dollars. Seventeen dollars. Okay. The the get it on Kindle if you want. Okay. Okay. So we're gonna be reading that book. But David Z. Morris wrote this uh, story about the shooter in uh, New Zealand who committed the uh, uh, massacre. In his manifesto, there is one mention of cryptocurrency. And it said that I uh, I made some money investing in BitConnect and traveled the world with that money later. I think something like that. Sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I think I sent it to our chat right that he had been involved in BitConnect uh, because right when the manifesto came, I don't out, think we know that he was involved in BitConnect. I no, mean, no, no. That he that he. Had, yeah. I, I I agree. I I mean just that he had mentioned it. We should note for people who haven't read the manifesto. Did you read the manifesto? Yeah. 
I did too. I'm we're terrible people. We're the kind of people who like look up the things that have gotten taken off of Reddit. And I don't know. Sorry. I mean, look, I'm a you know, yeah, like, we're I, journalists, I know yes. that I joke that I'm not a journalist anymore, yeah. but like it, it's my job to read it and to watch the video. Well, and and I'll admit that um, I read the thing about BitConnect and I was like, oh, okay. Well, that makes me wonder what this other stuff is and you know what the tone of that reference is, etc. So I looked it up. I ended up reading it also. It's been reported that the manifesto is all a bunch of troll trolling. That is yeah, not I true. Don't, I don't the, think it is true. mostly sincere. There is, however, a section of trolling comments, and this BitConnect mention is within that trolling section. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't. I think that if he had been involved in BitConnect, that there would have been a story by, about it by now. You know, maybe not because people are really trying not to talk about the manifesto. Well, and how would you know if, I mean, when you're saying being involved in BitConnect, BitConnect was a coin that was trading on Bittrex, BCC. So you, it's not like anyone would really have a record that you were or were not invested in uh, Sure, BitConnect. that's true. I mean, like, he, he could have just traded the coin, I guess. But the placement of it and the fact that it has become a crypto meme, you know, like it is by far the biggest scam or most publicized scam, I think, that we've had in in crypto. And so it led me to think that maybe he wasn't involved in BitConnect, but maybe he was in some sort of way. I don't know. Like it's it's not like if you went to like uh your wife or my wife and said, Hey, you know, BitConnect, that meme, they'd be like, Of course, yes, that meme that I know about, you know? It it is a little obscure for people who know nothing about crypto. Well, I, I thought so like my mother asked me about it. She was like, Hey, you do that show about crypto. Did you know that the guy who did that massacre got all his money from Bitcoin. I was like, okay, first of all, as a troll, this is clearly designed to confuse people. And I have trouble believing, honestly, that uh, like he was just a, happened to be a BitConnect investor and was not a Bitcoin investor. This feels very pointed to me to say BitConnect, not Bitcoin, not our cryptocurrency. Connect was like the scammiest of the silliest. And it feels to me like a knowing wink, like all of the subscribe to PewDiePie kind of stuff that's saying like, I know exactly how this will send uh, people into a, a, a frenzy. And that's why I'm yeah, doing Yeah, and that. the Candace Owens section. Candace Owens. Was, uh, and all, it's like, like that was clearly, clearly, clearly a troll. Like, you know, like he was like, Sometimes Candace Owens goes, Owens goes too far, even yes, for me. Like exactly. it's all, it was all obviously a troll. Yeah. Well, and so I'm like, and, he's doing a weird setup and then punchline, and BitConnect, the way it's structured there, is the punchline of that bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and that was just to do a little, a little bit of a sidebar here. Yeah. Like I, when I read the manifesto and I saw that a lot of people online were sort of clarifying the things that were real and the things that weren't real. You know. I, I really had a hard time figuring out what the point of that was. Like, it just felt like people were sort of doing a dick measuring contest about how much, you know, know your meme that they could Google it <laughs> on a, on a, in a short period of time, you know? I was just like, he just killed 49 fucking people, you know? Yeah. They, and a lot of his radicalization that he details at length in really, really sort of intense detail in his peace came from people like you know who are like adjacent to ben shapiro people who are adjacent to candace owens you know people like fucking stefan malinu 
And so to be like, hey, don't go after Candace Owens because he's just trolling. It's like, well, he's trolling for a reason, you know? He's trolling because, like, there's a wink nod that it is also kind of true, you know, like, that he did get some of these ideas from there. And so I'm just like, look, we can, you can write one piece that clarifies all these sorts of things. But, like, it just felt like half of the things that I was seeing were people trying to, like, jockey for position to be the expert of memes or something like that, which is really what happens all the time with memes, you know, and the... I don't know. I, I just found it to be a bit distasteful. I didn't like uh, that. I guess that's less like less where my my focus landed. I, I was interested in in David Z. Morris's take on it, which was that one of the readings of the BitConnect reference, and I guess I'm engaging in what you don't like now, which is like um, uh, meme interpretationism. But that like BitConnect. So for people who are listening who weren't around during the BitConnect period. Uh, you missed some um, pretty outrageous stuff. Uh, BitConnect was like a classic, classic pyramid scheme where like they were like, we'll offer you incredible returns. Like You stake money and you get back money. And it was the new people paying for the old people. They even did like the uh, Tom Cruise and uh, Magnolia stage things, you know, where yes. they start screaming at people like, let's do this. Yeah. And like, that's the famous meme is I think Carlos Matos, um, like shilling uh, big connect and um, unsurprisingly it uh, fell apart. Um, but not, and I should say this, it fell apart after it went 100 X as a coin. So it's not impossible that he actually was a BitConnect person who made money. Like for a coin to go from one X to a hundred X, some people yeah. cashed out. Some people were in the know. But the way that David Z. Morris interpreted the comment was that like in the manifesto's uh, endless hunger for the narrative of him as a victim, um, BitConnect was another I'm a victim troll to like say that basically BitConnect was like a bunch of people like him who were sort of uh, at dead ends without uh, education or employment prospects and thought this was a way out and they were actually getting scammed. And that's kind of the like great dark joke of the world and that uh, he is uh, nodding to that by uh, yeah. mentioning it. I mean, I don't know. I, I it's, hard. I like, it's hard to I like, know. I like David. And I think he's smart, and I, I don't agree with that. I think that's that's going too. I think that's going about one or two layers too deep into it. I think he was just looking for funny things that people would recognize, and he was just hoping that some libs in the media would freak out about this and write a story like you know, like the you know, like the dangerous world of crypto radicalization, which you know many people have written. Um, already, and so it makes sense that the, he would pick that. Speaking of uh, the dangerous world of crypto radicalization, the movie that we have been waiting for for nearly a year since uh, <laughs> we came into possession for this uh, to, of a script for this movie, uh, the trailer is here. The movie is called Crypto. A bad title. Bad title. Bad title or secretly great title? I think it's a bad title because uh, it's kind of like, you know, like when, you know, Minding the Gap, did you ever see that? Uh, it's like my yes. favorite movie of the last three years. And I interviewed the filmmaker, Bill, Bing Liu, and he was talking about how it, there was this big fight before, like Hulu had bought this thing and they wanted to promote it. And there was this big fight internally between his team, Hulu, everybody. And I won't say who was on which side because I actually don't know. But it was about whether or not to call it a skateboarding movie. And... They decided not to because they felt like a lot of people will just immediately shut down at the when they hear about a skateboarding movie. 
And I imagine that a title like crypto, like you're basically alienating like all like 95% of women, you know? Yeah. And you're alienating like, you know, people who uh, are financially responsible. <laughs> and basically in the end, like who have you, who are you appealing to? You're appealing to people who will just watch any movie with like Kurt Russell in it or something like that. The star power in this is actually somewhat impressive. I'm going to take but- the counter take here is that I take this as like a movie like when, um, Michael Mann made a movie called like Thief, where the movie is just l- as literally titled as possible, and the use of crypto in this title is totally is like, like dark web, like it's just like it's just like meant to like uh, symbolize like threat. Do, like people care about thieves. I don't know if uh, I think crypto is a much more specific thing. Anyway, go ahead. I I, I understand what you're saying, which is like. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Deep Blue Sea or something like that, where it's ominous. Yeah, it's like um, the movie of like, in, crypto is to 2019 as to in our generation, I'm going to say 1997 hackers. Yes, it's like hackers. Yes. I, okay, fine. I like expect hackers. there's going to be some scenes in this movie where a huge amount of code like flits over the screen and someone stares at it and we're supposed to be thrilled. Uh, I don't know about that, but I guarantee. I, okay, let, let, do let, should we do a game where we predict what type of scenes there are? Definitely. There is definitely going to be a scene where somebody has like a a hardware wallet, like a you know, like a ledger or a treasure. Oh yeah, and <laughs> there's like some like really dramatic handoff. You know, he has to get it to somebody by a certain amount of time, or else uh, you know everybody in the building is going to die. I can see that scene. The the code thing is interesting because I don't know, like I I don't know if coding is that integral to Bitcoin at this point, right? Uh, I know, okay, I have a question for you then. What what do you think the over under is? If I said the over under of Satoshi Nakamoto references at one, right? Where if there's one mm. we push, if there's two the over hits, and if there's zero the under hits, like uh, what would you take? I think I'm going to take the under. I feel like the movie's not even going to go that deep. Yeah, me too. I would take the under too. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe the over under should be 0. 0.5. Like I'm like, if, I'm like, what? Like, because like, there's not going to be two. Describe right? so to like, me a scene. And like the only scene I can imagine is like a terrible exposition scene where someone's like, Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin? Someone's see, like, that's Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, you got to yeah, watch yeah. out for that. But then. I'm like gonna a say, Sorkin scene where like people are sitting exactly. standing around and as, then like as betters we have to watch out for Satoshi Nakamoto being mentioned twice in that scene. Yeah, some like <laughs> some uh, some nerd guy like stands up because actually you know the history of Bitcoin is quite fascinating. Back in 2011, a uh, completely anonymous man named Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't even know if he's a man. He might have been several people came out with him. You know, like that's like the type of Sorkin scene that's in every single Sorkin movie that they might put into this, and then that's where Satoshi might get mentioned. And now the more I think about it, they definitely are going to put that scene in this movie. I know. It's a very dangerous All right, I'm going over. I I think I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to stay away from that that bat. I I am interested in any other, like, like I would also take a bet on um, whether, like how many times the, that Bitcoin is untraceable as mentioned in this movie. Uh... Yeah, I would say 1.5 is the over-under, and See, I would I think, take the oh, over. I'll bang the over on that. I would put the line closer to four or five. Four or five? It's like an hour-and-a-half-long movie. Like, but it's I, like, I, it's I, literally a movie about money laundering, I think. All right, let's watch no, the trailer. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's, let's watch, watch the trailer, trailer together. Yeah, I've got it queued up. You're acting like you're a 
you want to find something wrong with me. You're acting like I'm going to. No phone number, no email, just 10 million in cryptocurrencies. I had a client who was interested, but that's Don Baker found your daddy. He was offered seven figures. When I see things like this, I get pretty worried. You must know all kinds of things back there behind the curtain. Martin? We have a serious okay. problem here. A- okay, sure A, most important thing, April 12th, we're there. We will be re- we will be reviewing, possibly doing a Mystery Science Theater 3000 style oh commentary. We really have to go movie. watch that. Can't we like pirate the movie and watch it in the crypto cave or something like that? I haven't been to a movie in two years in the theater. I don't want the first one to be crypto. I'd like to know, uh, at one point I freeze frame this, they show a still of a computer screen. It's like a Mac file structure and one of the folders is labeled payouts and one of them is I'm oh, sorry, one of them's labeled Bitcoin payouts and the other one's labeled kickbacks. Kickbacks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just file this into my kickbacks folder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know what this document is. Let me open it. Huh, it appears to be evidence of kickbacks. Huh, it's <laughs> weird. I don't have a receipt for that kickback in my kickbacks folder. Let me go look back in the archives here. Uh, yeah, so my understanding of the plot is he's like a um, uh, anti-money laundering officer who gets sent back to his hometown, and he looks into a bank, and the bank is like the bank for some sort of a crypto exchange, and they're laundering like Russian uh, mob money through it. Oh, And wow. then he's got to like take them down, and they're Very like, apropos. there's a scene there where they're like, there's like $10 million, he's like, $10 million in untraceable currency. So so it's it's hidden some good themes. Okay, so if that's true, then I think the Bitcoin is untraceable thing over under is probably at like two and a half, and I'll still take the under. I um, I already knew that when we were when we were betting before, so a little unfair. Oh wow! So you had an edge on me, huh? You're you're fucking angle shooting me. So this is like this movie is very much in. It's not really like hackers in that it's like not about like the crazy pirates. It's about like the like government lawyers. It's an authoritarian Bitcoin movie. Bitcoin's yeah, evil I, on the movie. I, I'm not into that. I mean, I, I feel like if you're going, like, it, it seems like the most boring Bitcoin movie that you could make. Like, AML officer goes back to his hometown to, like, review the books of a local bank branch. Like, <laughs> who fucking cares? Um, this is interesting. The guy who directed it, his other movie that he did that I guess he's known for is Executive Decision, also starring Kurt Russell. Um, which came out in 1996. And I remember that. So I guess that. there's there's been a long. Wait, what is that? Like, I, you and I were in high school back then, right? So that's like a 23 year gap between movies. And I guess he's come back to make uh to make crypto. He must be super into crypto. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if this movie was originally written like without the crypto element, and like crypto was slapped onto it. Like this could just be a movie about money launders. I don't know. Like this is like a this is like a hot script that nobody knew what to do about about an AML compliance officer. Come on. All right. Should we see what the uh, YouTube commenters thought about this trailer? There's some some good yeah, that's comments a good idea. here. All right. Yes, it's here. The dumbest film ever made about something that the writers don't understand. There's definitely some mad people who are mad this doesn't have more Bitcoin in it. I imagine there will be a 10-minute tense standoff while they wait for the blockchain to verify a transaction. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> I enjoy that. <laughs> Next one is, hackers that use Coinbase and Bitcoin, totally untraceable, <laughs> LOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one, I would say, is on point too. Russia bad, crypto bad, smart people bad, unless working for government. Thanks, Hollywood. 
<laughs> okay, I, can I just say something, which is that yeah. I, I'm like, I didn't, I, I, exp- I knew that we were going to make fun of this, but like, I'm actually a little bit surprised by how boring of a crypto movie they came up with. Like, I, I thought that it would, that you know, that it would be, that it would be at least a little bit more entertaining than this. I mean, this is like literally the most boring thing you could do with crypto and the most generic. And I'm a little bit mad that they took the name crypto to make this movie, right? Like, you're right. It could be any type of movie. And also, I don't really understand, like, what it, like, it's Luke Hemsworth, right? And he's like, he's, uh, he's like, there's nothing about it that seems like it's Bitcoin related at all, which I guess feeds into your theory that maybe this was some script that somebody wrote, like, maybe in 1999. And they just like, were like, well, why don't we just make it about crypto and then we can sell it? Um, uh, this is my favorite comment of all. If this can help pump our corn bags, then whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's the most crypto take possible of it. So yeah, did you? Did that you? Was that, your, positive, was that your burner account? <laughs> positive price uh, uh, influence on Bitcoin. Yeah, this. I hate to break your bubble, but uh, good lord, if that uh, happened, that, this, I mean, it, I think. That, well, I will say, if this movie was a crazy, like, come on, if I could stop. bet. If this movie does over a hundred million dollars of business, it will have a positive impact on Bitcoin price. No, it definitely will not. I feel like every single one of the Bitcoin movies that you and I came up with, uh, you know, like possibly, you know, maybe not completely sober while sitting around in your basement, were uh, a lot better than this. It seems very small. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I do. You, okay, the, the here's the only useful question I have out of all of this, which is like. Do you think if Bitcoin was still like say eleven to fourteen thousand dollars that there would be six Bitcoin movies out right now? I can't believe this movie got made before the Satoshi movie or the Ross Ulbricht movie. Both much, much better ideas. Well, the Ross Ulbricht movie is the Cohen brothers, right? Like so that's Oh really? A huge I didn't know movie. that. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's the Cohen brothers. Oh, that um, sounds good, actually. Yeah, that'd be great. That's uh, like if you want anybody to make the Ross Ulbricht movie, who are the two people? It's like Scorsese or the Coen Brothers, right? So it's one of the two. Um, the Scorsese one would be really I think funny. I, I, think. I think I would also take the like Fincher written by Sorkin uh, Ross Ulbricht movie. Oh man, that one's tough. That one's that one's got an over under of twenty on Satoshi Nakamoto references. It's like a, yeah, it's like a mix of the Social Network and a Few Good Men or something like that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, is there uh, anything right. else to talk about? Well, well, we're definitely going to go to all of these crypto movies, so you can look forward to the reviews on here. Uh, again, the book was Radical Markets. I'm going to do an episode uh, about reading the first half with David Z. Morris, and then Jay is going to do the second half with me in a couple weeks. Pick it up. Read it. Hey, also, uh, you can send us a tip. Tip.me slash cointalk. All right, I'll see you next week. Okay, later. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, March 19th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $3,971. And that was Coin Talk. Uh, thanks to my co host, Jay. Thanks to our editor, James Nicholson. Thanks to our partners over at Medium. You can find all of our episodes at medium.com slash coin talk. Send us an email, hi at cointalk.show, or send us a tip over the Lightning Network, tip.me slash cointalk. See you soon.